You're going to have some fun editing to do in this episode. Lots of sniffs and coughs to remove. Also, a lot of mouth breathing. Unfortunately, my own cold decided to wait till the day after the half marathon to become catastrophic. Right, I'm going to need another 30 seconds because Chrome uses 100% CPU and I'm on 56% battery. That will not last 45 minutes. It's Chrome doing its thing. Right, I'm back, this time with mains electricity. I was not listening, I was busy doing the hygiene dab. <laughs> By which I mean coughing into my elbow. I, I was uh, quoting uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. The Capella tool in the bedroom, dear. I haven't seen that film for a very long time until I went on two flights this summer and it was the in-flight movie both times. It's just so good though, isn't it? I did not watch it. Oh! <gasps> Oh my god. Because it is not the early 1990s. But you missed the drive-by fruiting. Yeah, but I watched Infinity War instead. I, I feel one of your viewings of Infinity War could have given way to Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, I didn't watch Infinity War both times. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, I watched it once and I didn't watch it, so uh, perfectly balanced, as all things should be. I assume this is a joke about the Malthusian thumb that I haven't seen. I think an entire season of Remedial Nerding while you catch up with the 17 or 18 films of the MCU is probably a bit unfair. <laughs> no, do it. As fun as it would be. After which, Nathan gets a tattoo of the Hulk across his uh, shoulder blades. Just saying Hulk smash. <laughs> I think of myself as more of a rocket raccoon kind of guy. <laughs> I hope I haven't slandered myself because I don't really know what that means. <laughs> no, rocket's awesome. And to be fair, you do uh, seem to be the type that would randomly ask for some guy's prosthetic arm just for the shits and giggles. The things you could do with that. I'm really, really trying to think of a way to link this into Sub Rosa, but unless someone's got some some really shitty Mills and Boom with Rocket Raccoon in, I'm not really sure I can do it. So let's just go and hit play and regroup after the uh, intro. There is nothing we could come up with that could hold a candle to the atrocity that is this episode. Oh, that's good. That's good. I like it. Right. See you after the theme tune. This week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 15 of Remedial Nerding. This week it's Season 7, Episode 14 of Star Trek The Next Generation, Sobrosa which I kind of hinted was maybe the only dud in Series 7 last week. Uh, on evidence provided by Nathan, I would like to retract my statement. Wait, wait, which one did Nathan think was also a dud? <laughs> Masks. Is that the one where the holodeck takes over and starts producing like Aztec gods and they have to put on masks and Data goes nuts? Yes. Right, okay. There's a certain yeah. crystal maze element to it, from what I can recall. <laughs> 
But anyway, we didn't pick that one, and we didn't pick the one that comes after Sobrosa, which is basically a day in the life of the ensigns on the ship, which actually would have been perfect for remedial nerding. <laughs> no, instead we're on we're on planet cosplay for Scotland. <laughs> Scottish cosplay. Yeah, it's populated entirely by throwback Scots and the occasional alien who's a a weeaboo for Scotland. Is there a word for that? <laughs> I think, as you pointed out, Nathan, the point was that, oh, it's so uncannily like Scotland. Oh, it doesn't rain here normally. <laughs> no, no, hang on a minute. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't in fantasy future Scotland. Maybe he only visited Scotland on the one sunny day. There's a lot of things to wonder about how Scottish culture is in the 23rd century. I like the kind of overarching theory that all human cultures are basically extinct, apart from the universal monoculture of the internet in 2349 or whatever it is. So everyone who expresses a strong cultural identity is basically a cosplayer. (laughs) And they all go to their own cosplay palettes. This is why Scotty and Chekhov are so outrageously stereotyped, is that they're massive enthusiasts. <laughs> like being Russian is about, like being a goth, it's just a aesthetic choice, more than anything else. There's pe- Chekhov's parents are there going, oh, he's in his Russian phase again. We shouldn't have shown him those old family photos. Uh, yeah, there's a, there is an episode of Next Generation that goes counter to that, that narrative, though. Where Oh, yeah, there are lots of counterexamples. Worf's adoptive parents turn up and are also very Russian. But his brother isn't. <laughs> no, that's true. In fact, his brother likes the different race entirely so much that he wants to cosplay as them for life. But that is not the episode we're on. We also have to think about the depth of time here, because like 23 centuries into the future, their edition of Scotland on, what is it called? Chaldos, which I've got a feeling is in Greece anyway. But... Yeah, their interpretation of what Scotland is like is Scotland in circa 1850 or something. It's it's just Scotland Renaissance Fair. Yeah. I mean, when you've got technology that can take care of your every material need, you can go a bit nuts. (laughs) Yeah, but from the sounds of it, they dismantled every major city in Scotland and flew it 200 light years across the galaxy and (laughs) rebuilt it as tiny villages. Well, I was going to say, when everything's going great, you can get weird, like Japan or Sweden. But it's from that description, it sounds like maybe it's more of a Nevada situation. <laughs> well, have either of you read any of the culture books by Ian M. Banks? I have not. No. Basically, that's all about the culture, which is a post-scarcity species that have unlimited energy and materials, and they basically just chill out the entire time and let everything get run by AIs. And just wonder with the, how far away from that Star Trek universe actually is. <sighs> But anyway, we're waffling massively, even if it is on topic. We have hit on something with Scottish cosplay because the governor of this particular Scottish colony is not human. He visited Scotland once when he was a boy, loved the culture and wanted to pretend to be Scottish. (laughs) And he wasn't even wearing a kilt. (laughs) He wasn't. So the conceit for this episode is Beverly's grandma has passed away and they've gone back for the funeral. And then she, a young 30-year-old gentleman catches her eye as he drops a, a flower onto her nana's grave. And it all gets a bit Mills and Boone from there. Hilarity ensues. Hilarity, no, sorry, I meant spectral alien rape. Um, but, you know, it all gets a little weird. 
I mean, the, the bit that got me was when she was talking to Deanna about it in about five minutes' time. She said, I was reading this particularly erotic bit of my grandma's diary. <laughs> Which is a phrase you never want to say to anyone. <laughs> There's no part of that sentence that's not fucking creepy. If you feel like you wanted to say this, you should have skipped a couple of pages there. I mean, save it for historians of the future, maybe. There is going to be a time when kids are browsing the internet and going, Mum, I found this blog by someone who has Nana's name. It's got a lot of Harry Potter references, but there's a lot of dick in it. What's going on? I mean, if you're a 100-year-old getting some from a 30-year-old, you know, all power to your artificial elbow. <laughs> It may be misplacement. My greatest fear of Facebook is that unlike previous internet forums, it's not going to become obsolete and die after an appropriate amount of time. And there may <laughs> actually be a persistent record. I mean, everything that happened on the 2000s version of, what, the 1990s version of the internet is pretty much unreadable now. <laughs> You're just hoping for a new update and for Facebook to go, eh, they don't need this. Or that Mitchell and Webb sketch where someone accidentally drags the internet to their recycle bin and deletes it. <laughs> I've deleted the files. I've deleted all the files. I've deleted the internet. Oh, but hold on. Back to the episode, yeah. Enter the suspicious villager. I was going to call him <laughs> Eagle, but I guess he's not Eagle. He's the coachman who won't go up to the castle. <laughs> yeah, except to sneak in and try and steal the heirloom candle. And this is roughly the point at which I realised that this was going in a radically different genre than we were expecting. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious, but hilariously bad, and that was not the intent. I'm at the bit where Beverly's just found her grandmother's journals on the table beside the chair, piled up with a couple of other books. So anyone could just come over and just pick up this woman's personal diary and start reading her erotic fan fiction. Did she accidentally write Twilight? Not Twilight. Sorry, Fifty Shades of Grey. That's the uh, that's the erotic fanfic. In in this case, it's uh, more like Fifty Shades of Plasmatic Green. <laughs> As spoiler alert, the lover is actually an energy based alien that's been siphoning the life out of them in order to stabilize his own being. Managed to hit yeah, just to jump right ahead to the end. That's what's going on. There's a line at the end which is, I don't believe in ghosts and ghosts aren't real, you're just an energy being that has all the properties of ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Including dressing in 1650, well not 1650s, 1800s Scottish clothes. Walks like a duck, it sounds like a duck, but actually, you're not. <laughs> but actually you're an anaphasic life form. Aliens! <laughs> there are a number of problems with the general con- conceit. I'm sure I'm not the first to say it. One of which is that it's implied that in this version of reality, surnames pass down the female line. Except in the last generation. Because both her nana and her 1647 ancestor, um, matrilineal ancestor have the same surname. Maybe they all just double-barreled. They, it's possible. Ned, Ned Kelly, or whatever his name is, does refer to as uh, Beverly Howard Crusher. Yeah, he did. I did spot that, actually. What I did think, and I definitely I remember the episode now that I was confusing it with, is, oh, does she get really old while she's doing this? But that's actually like series three episode where someone psychically links onto Diana and ages her. Yeah, I was going to say, I've got a feeling that's a Troy one. Although this does, you know, turn to Beverly into a massive frump when she's walking around in a, like, literally her grandma's nighty at one point. Yeah. 
I didn't think Beverly was that much of a frump in a nighting. Although, the spoiler alert for when we get to a little bit later and John Luke just walks into the house and Beverly's like mid-going at it on her own. Look, I don't want... Chair. I hate to interrupt <laughs> that train of thought, but I just want to point out that we have just had the moment on screen that gave the only laugh for me in this entire episode, which is where Beverly is recounting the Nana at age of 106 had a 30-year-old boy toy. <laughs> Picard goes, Howard women definitely have a high-powered libido or something along those lines. No, that was one of the cringe moments. That was roughly the point at which I stopped attempting to tally the cringe moments. <laughs> it was also not the first time I wrote down this is not an appropriate workplace conversation <laughs> it was after Crusher goes back into her quarters and closes the door and Picard just kind of does raised eyebrows at, more or less at the camera as if to say <laughs> yeah way to go Nana well, he literally does say 30 years old <laughs> nice one thing I did notice the episode after this as well, they have some really inappropriate work conversations in Ten Forward as well. They have inappropriate work conversations in this episode. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's just discussing her, yeah, Beverly's, well, what can only be described as a wet dream. Yeah, Starfleet does not have medical privacy and they also do not really have consultation privacy. Although Troy is occasionally saying things like, so anyway, about these crew reports. <laughs> Beverly's like, no, no, no. You need to hear this part of my wet dream. Oh, there we go. I did fall asleep in a particularly erotic body about You are, you are a little, little bit ahead of me. Clean up on aisle three, please. I mean, when they're discussing this at 10 forward, if you were sat on the table next to him, you would just be listening in, wouldn't you? I assume that everyone who serves on a starship together basically ends up with knowing everything about each other. Gossip's got to go around that place incredibly fast. Oh, God, yeah. If you've spent time on a confined military vessel, please write to us and let us know if you know everybody's shit. It's not quite submarine close quarters, but it's pretty close quarters. I did like Troy's I'm envious comment. (laughs) I haven't had a dream like that in ages. So now we're back at the graveyard and she's met Ned for the second time and made up after she threw him out of the house and told him never to come back. Ned being the those who go up there never comes back villager. (laughs) With the world's shittest hat. (laughs) And the world's second worst Scottish accent. (laughs) It kind of changed the laws of physics. I I do love that she's like, once I'm gone, I'm going to finish the business here, wrap up things and then leave. And you can totally live in the house. She's like, I ain't going near that fucking place. <laughs> it's fucking haunted. I mean, they live in a post-scarcity society that is also, in this case, on a colony with a population of like 10,000 on the planet. So it'd be fairly easy for them to say, no, I'm just going to take, you know, shift over 10,000 acres and replicate myself a new timber-thatched cottage. <laughs> timber-thatched isn't a real thing. <laughs> Timber-framed, maybe? And now we've got the weird green lightning. And the grave's covered in Carnelias, I think she said. I do believe you're right. But the obvious matte painting background is still an obvious matte painting. Because all the trees in the foreground are moving with the wind and the background isn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could have just had someone gently shaking the background. <laughs> I did think as well on this one, they actually spent a bit of money on the special effects of the uh, the view screen and looking at the planet. Tangent, um, the picture that I, I posted of Polanski and the crew for Next Generation Day. Between then and now, has Wolf's head gotten thinner? Thinner. It doesn't look as bulbous nowadays. What, Worf's head or Michael Dawn's head? <laughs> I'm going to say Worf's. 
I think the hair made a massive difference, whether he got it in his bob or whether he got it tied back in a braid. Did look like he had a massive Swede. So cut back to Planet Scotland, and it's pissing it down, and Beverly makes it back to Nana's house to find it is covered in flowers. If you go upstairs and there's no corpse on the bed, you're fucked because the corpse you is going to be corpse. you. You are the corpse, yeah. <laughs> and the call was coming from inside the house. <laughs> it seems kind of hard to maintain a spooky haunted house when the character points out that she can just vanish from there and go to a brightly lit room at any time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do quite like the little touches of the really advanced computer monitor sat in the old wooden writing desk. <laughs> I mean, fair play to Gates McFadden. That's some fairly credible acting. <laughs> For all I know. I even managed to say that with a straight face. It's like a pre-GCSE drama student. Do we know who directed this one? I feel like she does a good job. She has to do all of the heavy lifting in the episode, though. It's like, we want you to really obviously, like, be having fully clothed sex with yourself, but really sell it for the camera. Would you two like to guess who directed it? Frakes. Correct. Oh dear. <laughs> I mean, he only directed it, he didn't write it, so it could just be he decided, oh my god, this is awful, let's ham, ham it up to the max. Let's pretend it's it's like Gates' opportunity to go nuts that like they did with Brent Spiner in A Fistful of Datas. <laughs> Gates, this is all you. This is no direction for me. You just go wild. Buck wild to borrow a phrase from one of the Knuckle Boys. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever known. Yep, exactly the line I'm on. Followed by, what's happening to me? You made me to file a report with security. (laughs) It's not a terribly sincere thing for him to say since we've established that he's previously had weird psychotropic love affairs with at least 20 previous Howard women, <laughs> as they're referred to. Yeah, this might not be uh, entirely truthful. There you go, back on the Enterprise in Grandma's nighty. Well, yeah. to be to be but... fair, Troy is in a karate outfit that has a deep V. That is true. But, I mean, my karate gi has a deep, deep V because they, they wrap around things, so... I mean, was she contractually obliged to show some cleavage? <laughs> Not after Captain Douchebag put her back in the blue uniform. Also, the dress uniforms. Picard's is very straight up and down, as seems to be most men's, yet women's are cinched at the waist. But Dan, it's like it's almost like someone's understood that men and women are different shapes. <laughs> This is not the future that we are promised. We are all equal. We are all one. Give us all jumpsuits. The race to the lowest common denominator. (laughs) I didn't say I'm in love with him. Subtext. I'm just banging him. Not in love with him. I'm just in love with the idea of him. (laughs) I'm just intrigued. Slash horny. I love the amount of fog that he managed to get on the bridge. The fog that's definitely just dry ice. Yeah. That is extremely dry ice, yes. Because a a feature of fog that is universal in film and TV where people have lots of dry ice and not so much in actual nature is that it sits very sharply at the bottom six inches of the air volume and nowhere else. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Driving past the, the valley 
that separates the road I take to work from Bath, the fog seems to sit quite low in that valley. Yeah, but if you were in the valley, it would be still be quite far above your head. It certainly wouldn't be a layer six inches thick. So what we're saying six is that, feet that, maybe. that entire scene should have just been everyone from the waist down as all their top halves were just in fog. No, that is absolutely not how fog works either, Dan. <laughs> I, have you ever been outside? Yes. <laughs> we know Dan's an engineer. We know that never happens. That, there was that one time that I went outside and it was really sunny in March and I got heat stroke. <laughs> Although I do kind of like the idea of them filming a scene where it is actually in realistic thick fog. You see a few dark shapes until you get so close that you've actually can't stop walking into someone. Exactly. Now, we just got to the bit where um, Ned, yeah, Ned, because I wanted to call him Ned Flanders, where he's been poking around under the counter and then gets zapped by the green lightning. Data checks his pulse and goes, he's dead, Jim. Because because no one in the 21st century understands CPR. Well, we've discussed this before. In fact, we discussed this in a Firefly episode. It would be very anticlimactic if that scene had ended with him just like, oh shit, emergency medical transport. Yeah, but Data could have started going, ha, 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 staying alive as he gives him chest compressions, except he forgets his own strength and like pushes his hands through the floor and it's like something out of the thing. <laughs> if you want medical accuracy, watch Casualty or Holby City, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say it's the B plot, but it's not because it's directly related to the main. But it's there's Planet Scotland has a weather control system to make it not too much like Scotland, except <laughs> that's also possessed by the ghost. So when Ned, the superstitious villager, is attempting to pull loads of isolinear chips out or something, he gets ghost zapped. Zapped. Slimed. I have another problem for you to consider with the brain incorporeal brain parasite that is also a secret hallucinogenic or hallucin incorporeal brain parasite that is also a hallucinatory lover hereditary plan. Which is that he claims to have been passed down from mother to daughter, so we can assume none of them ever only had sons, like for example Beverly does. Maybe they had some, they point. just weren't allowed to have the candle. Yeah, but even so, if he doesn't go to, to male ones, we think it like, skips a generation, like it did with Beverly. Well, he only skipped a generation there because mum was dead but Nana died. was alive. <laughs> yeah. So he had a period of like a week or something. That was another thing I thought, given how you know awesome the 24th century is. Beverly's lost her mum and her husband to what are obviously not natural circumstances. She's not had a good run of it. She's either been very unlucky or it's actually a pretty harrowing place to live. Or the bloodline is just due because apparently it's managed to go 800 years without ever having a break in matrilineal descent. (laughs) I mean, the... The evil alien claims this, maybe it's false, but then there's a line at the very end which kind of implies it's true because Crusher is saying something like, oh yeah, it turns out my mitochondria are really tasty or something. <laughs> so I was just having a look on the Wikipedia article for this episode. Uh, 
apparently in 2016 this was voted as the sixth worst episode of Star Trek full stop. I also looked at that <laughs> list, yeah. But did you see the, the see also bit just below it? I did not. So the see, all, see also lists six episodes. Okay. Night Terrors. Understandable okay. comparison, even though that episode is great. Yeah, uh, Schisms. Can't remember that one. Oh, that's when everyone can't stop... St- sorry, is um, having difficulty sleeping. And they realise they're being abducted in their sleep by aliens who keep, like, breaking arms and stuff. Weird. Probably because it's creepy. But then Chain of Command Parts 1 and 2. Don't really get that connection. Yeah. Frame of Mind, which is the one where Reich has been, like, kidnapped by some aliens who's observing and goes insane. Well, insofar as it's an abusive relationship with an alien, okay, I can guess I can say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Genesis, which is the one where Barkley gets a bit ill and his T-cells mutate and turns everyone into weird creatures. And it turns Reggie into a spider and Troy into a frog. <laughs> That's probably got to be on the list of generally considered goofy to the max. Although, come to the... I don't know. I feel like this episode is lacking goof. I would put this on a low-goof episode. What do we define our axes as? Goof, serious... Good and bad. Simple as that. Good and bad. I'd say this is... Yeah, serious bad. <laughs> I, I did like... I read the bit now where Beverly has you know, packed and she's leaving the Enterprise to go and live in fantasy Scotland for good. Cloud walks in and is like, what is this? Waving a pad. He's like, it's self-explanatory. I've resigned. I'm leaving. Energize. <laughs> Boom, done. But I'm assuming, considering how this episode turns out, Picard doesn't begin processing the paperwork for her resignation straight away. Well, we've discussed it before, but we feel like Star- uh, Starfleet must have pretty robust brain control protocols. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have to ask uh, what if X member of Starfleet gets possessed by someone who changes, you know, steals all their faculties to make decisions. She's just been through another harrowing family loss and tragedy. She might be losing her mind a little bit. Let's give her a few days and then see if she still wants to resign. But would they go halfway across the Federation for a random lowly ensign's grandma's death? Probably not. They'd probably shove him in a shuttlecraft and go, it's right, you'll be there in seven weeks. I do like that LaForge and Data get to play... um, Sherlock Holmes for real. Or as in Creeper Ground or Fogbound Graveyard. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little impressed and at the same time disappointed that they translated six feet into two metres for Data's line. <laughs> She's two metres under, doesn't have the same ring to it. Oh, well, now that you say that though, that does remind me of something, which is that in the opening funeral scene, they are doing basically the Anglican funeral service, but kind of Jefferson bible out. So they're just kind of in the sure uncertain hope of um, a secular understanding of mortality, I suppose. <laughs> so yes, in the same way that they are no longer certain of a bodily resurrection on the Day of Judgment, they are now two metres down as opposed to six feet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that shows that religion still exists in Earth culture in the future, or if Fantasy Roleplay Scotland had fantasy religion because it has a fantasy church. 
I get the feeling it's the latter because they also do the sign of the cross, which is not something you normally do after an Anglican service. It's probably not the sort of thing you do after a secular service either. There's probably a show Bible out there somewhere that tells us the answer to this answer question. And probably also several 100,000 page angry forum threads that all got locked. <laughs> At about 35 minutes into the episode, we get to the parts where you have to start checking to see whether your wife is going to come into the kitchen while you're doing the dishes. <laughs> you're watching what now? I'm watching Family Entertainment. This was prime time viewing, damn it. This was on at half past six on a weekday. <laughs> I do like that uh, when Picard's uh, confronting Beverly and he's like, you've changed the colour of your eyes. And she's like, yeah, I got bored with the old colour. Which now implies that changing the colour of your eyes is something really fucking simple and can be done on a whim whenever you get bored. Yeah, Star Trek generally doesn't go in for the kind of um, transhuman experience. Not a whole lot of sci-fi does, really. I'm a little disappointed in the continuity between needing to tap your comm badge to answer a call and just talking at it. Which is it, man? Which is it? (laughs) Maybe it depends on whether it's in low power mode. (laughs) You get to blow 20% and you have to manually activate it instead of just having Siri listen to you all the time. <laughs> it's quite comforting knowing that Geordie and Data are busy Sherlocking it in the background, like you mentioned, Dan. You know, this is why the universe requires nerds. They just kind of get on quietly in the background, and before you know it, you you know, someone walks on the stage with an iPhone, and everyone goes, <laughs> "Nerds, they're the ones who know how to delete your browser history." Unless, of course, you commit it to paper and you're granddaughter is strangely uninhibited about reading it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she didn't think twice about delving into Nana's deepest, darkest thoughts. Do you reckon it's Picard's fake heart that meant he survived the green lightning strike? Maybe. Oh yeah, because Picard has turned up so it may have been confusing earlier when I was saying this was an uncomfortable scene to watch. It is Picard walking into Beverly question mark masturbating question mark (laughs) (laughs) and then has an angry conversation with ghost Christian Grey or whatever he is which largely boils down to are you a ghost you have to tell me if you are (laughs) there's a law that says you have to tell me if you are yeah if you don't if you're a ghost and you don't tell me it's entrapment (laughs) (laughs) and then also yeah Voicemail comes in saying, Geordie and Data here, we're going to dig up Nana's grave. Is that cool? <laughs> because I, I'm down with that, but check with the governor first, but I'm pretty sure he'll be cool with it as well, because he seems pretty chill. And obviously, by, by dig up, they mean transport. Yeah, transport <laughs> yeah. out of the ground, which is a lot less effort. The lid's not even glued on. And then Nana wakes up and Ghostbuster zaps. Data. Yeah, in a notorious scene. Though, hilariously, neither of the Sunni are at all surprised by this until they get shocking grasped. <laughs> yeah, there is no... What? I mean, Discovery has established that swear words do still exist in the Star Trek timeline. Although I guess they might have died out in the 70 years between Discovery and TNG. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, because Picard swears in season one, admittedly in French, and Data swears in generations. God damn you, BBC One. How how dare you edit that word out? <laughs> I mean, both times the word used is shit. But having done the um, creepy grandmother rise from the dead trick, Christian Grey and Beverly are now having their kind of dramatic showdown where she realises that he's been using her for a mitochondria all this time. Bev's soliloquy. Yeah, every Star Trek episode at some point is reliant on having someone explain the premise to the audience, but they normally manage to avoid doing it in the emotional shouted confrontation at the very end. Yeah. I, mean, I like that halfway through, like, she destroys the candle, taps Geordie's com badge, and tells Riker to just shut off all the plasma conduits at the weather station. I'll explain later. And Riker's not even like, new phone, who this? Didn't you resign? <laughs> That's because they've been in space together for seven years. But Picard's like, look, she's going through some shit. We're just going to give her some time if she calls. Just act like everything's chill. If she calls, make sweeping and drastic changes to a whole planet's atmosphere <laughs> controls. <laughs> but it is better than the standard sitcom misunderstanding where they can just go, yeah, trust me, I'll... I'll Tell you about it in ten minutes' time. I mean, this whole episode is arguably a different genre than a normal Star Trek episode, and I feel like that's partly exemplified by the very end where he just phases phases Christian Grey through the heart, as opposed to saying, (laughs) right, mate, you get into this holodeck briefcase or something so we can (laughs) study you for later and maybe figure out a way for you to exist without having to get into weird abusive sex dreams. Why does the optionally corporeal life form not just discorporealize when she tries to shoot him? I'm assuming that's because the candle doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think she explained that premise that he needs to exist in a plasma-based atmosphere and that the candle was plasma-based, which I don't understand how it was plasma-based in a candle in the 1800s in Scotland, but we can work that out later. And that they pulled the plasma batteries out of the weather control station so he couldn't go back there and hide in those. So then she goes to 10 forward with Deanna to go and sit at someone's mid-game. Yeah. Of, uh, I, in I'm progress game with 3D chess. I just to bring that up. <laughs> like, Dave and Mark have just gone to the bar to get another cup of coffee to come back to their game. They're going to come back to Troy and Crusher just sat there talking about her creepy sex ghost. Well, maybe 10 Forward is like a pub that doesn't have quite enough tables. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> Completely empty there. tables around them. <laughs> let's, let's take that one. That was a weird episode, man. That was very strange. I kind of applaud them for doing something different, but they rolled a one on it. <laughs> <laughs> Critical miss. It's... Uh, in some ways, it's not. Maybe it's not a one because production-wise, I think it's better than a lot of the season one episodes were. Oh come on! There's no human meat popsicle falling out of a shower. <laughs> I don't think any of the actors do a terrible job, but there are logic problems run through it, and it's an uncomfortable topic at best of times, and it's just weird. I feel in retrospect that we probably should have had some guest speakers on for this one. Just. Just for a little bit of a different perspective. 
I don't know. I think most people's perspective on this is going to be the same. So with that weirdness out of the way, what are we watching next week? Or the week after? Or So next up is All Good Things, Parts 1 and 2. Another double bill. And, and where are we predicting this one to be on the uh, the good, bad, cheesy and straight scale? I think there's an element of cheese in the form of um, John uh, Patrick, Sir Patrick Stewart in old makeup. There is a bit of cheese with that, but then that comes good towards the end when he's rapidly hopping from time frame to time frame. The other thing is Sir Patrick Stewart is now older than Picard was supposed to be in the future timeline, but still looks about as young as he did 31 years ago when the show aired. I remember it being a good one. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's not the best. I mean, it's a Q episode after all, so it's never going to be in the top ten. But I, I thought it was actually quite a good way to round up the uh, round up the show run. I have. I don't know if this is going to be worth having keeping in, but I had a challenge for you. Oh yeah. One way of making that episode better. One way of one way of making it worse. My suggestion for better is that they do like they did with Moriarty and put him on a USB drive. Because <laughs> that feels a bit more Starfleet than just phasering him and then crying in a graveyard. My suggestion for making it worse is to make the last line of the episode, or is he? <laughs> and then have some, you know, sinister eyes appear somewhere. Just a little flash of green from Beverly's eyes. As exactly. You know, one last look to camera. Well, one's a trope of Star Trek, one's a trope of, you know, the horror movie. I mean, this was extremely gothic horror trope heavy. Yeah, massively. Maybe they were just like running through the list of things that they hadn't done, and they were like down to just like three. They're like, oh, maybe if we do those two, no ghosts and creepy place. I mean, we've done weather, but we could probably tie in some weather as well. <laughs> Sod it. Just uh, try and tick as many boxes as possible. It's the weird episode trifecta. I don't know how I'm going to sleep after watching that, but... I think I'm going to take a double dose of paracetamol and some Sudafed and hope that I can speak and breathe tomorrow. Even though I felt, well, I felt fine for the first nine hours yesterday and then spent two hours being very hot and sweaty and the rest of them feeling like shit. Were you also invaded by a green plasma-based ghost? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, norovirus is similar. Wait, no, not norovirus. What am I thinking of? The common cold. That's it. <laughs> You mean the one that we've got and not the one that would involve us being violently ill? Right. At least it's not Ebola. Well, the only saving grace with Ebola is you're not ill for very long. That doesn't make it any better. No, I think that's probably small small comfort. Small, small mercy. This took a really weird fucking tangent. It's gone very dark. <laughs> I don't know how to dig our way back out of this hole. <laughs> I think you're just going to have to cut like a minute at the end of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe when you like mentioned Ebola, I think that's probably the the place to stop. Maybe just before there. I'll leave it up to your judgment. Oh, fuck it. I'll, I'll make something up. It'll be fine. Right. I'm off to go and sleep in a timber-thatched attic in a windstorm with lit only by candles. This is a rash decision. Ill-considered. It's not like Beverly at all. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.